You guys, guess what? Dr. Bob doesn't know that I'm doing this, but today is a special day. It's his birthday, and not just any birthday, it's his 50th birthday today, March 14th. And so from everyone at the Vaccine Conversation, all of our listeners, all of the supporters, and all of his patients, we want to take time to wish you a very happy birthday. On behalf of fathers everywhere, thank you, Dr. Bob, for everything you've done and everything you continue to do for families and children. Thank you for listening to us as parents, getting to know our children and our families, and continuing to advocate for and educate all of us. As a medical professional who supports informed choice, thank you for speaking out and giving our healthcare practitioners the courage to also tell the truth and advocate for our patients. Thanks, Dr. Bob, for putting your reputation on the line and believing in this cause, even though it has forced you to sacrifice so much as a result. Hi, Dr. Bob. I'd just like to express my deepest appreciation and give you all my thanks for all the work that you've been doing for children and for the medical freedom movement and for fostering the idea of informed consent. You are a hero to so many of us. Thank you, Dr. Bob, for helping and protecting kids like me. Thank you, Dr. Bob. Happy birthday! When you open the door for somebody else. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Vaccine Conversation with Melissa and Dr. Bob. We have just been covering so many topics. There's so much going on right now. It is hard to keep up and have a regular life. It's too bad this couldn't be my full-time job. <laughs> yet and yet I'm a stay-at-home mom. Well, you could, you could full-time make no money doing podcasting <laughs> uh, instead yeah, of just part-time. I, it's so, so fun. Yeah. Uh, no, what I'm doing is I'm part-timing it with my other full-time gig, which is being a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> um, but I, you know yeah. what I want to do? We're going to talk about the Senate hearing that just happened happened on Tuesday, March 5th, um, 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, But before we do that, I want to talk about this bill in Washington that has now passed the House and is on to the Senate. This is HB 1638. Um, A lot of people have been calling this, you know, like the 277 bill, but it's really not. And I want to distinguish the difference. Apparently, there, there is another bill in Washington that is going to be for all things. But this particular bill is only removing re- exemptions for the MMR vaccine. And this is as a result, direct result of their, you know, quote unquote outbreak, which is still only as of today, exactly at 71 cases, um, which still, gosh, I mean, Disneyland was 131 cases. This is, this is really not nearly as, um, Numerous as that, but they Washington did declare a state of emergency after 25 or 26 cases, which does lead you to perhaps use critical thinking skills and wonder if that was all as part of the foundation for building this legislative season. And, um, you know, it helps to pass a bill, I'd say, if you had to declare a state of emergency, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. they even mentioned the Washington uh, outbreak in the Senate hearing. But anyway, um, what I want to mention to you is the uh, amendments that were added um, to this and when it passed. And another thing I want to acknowledge is this passed 57 to 40. This was not, I mean, that's not a huge landslide. Uh, You would expect something like this. Again, this is only for removing the religious and philosophical exemptions for one vaccine. 
uh, which covers three diseases, but one vaccine, which means philosophical exemptions and religious exemptions would still be intact for the other ones. However, you'd think that something like this amid the crisis of the public health outbreak would be a no-brainer, right? Like, how come there are 40 dissenters? Who were the legislators? 40 legislators did not feel, after hearing all the evidence, that this was a good idea. And so that's something to pay attention to, because this was not a completely one-sided past thing. Right. And and I think that's very telling. I mean, if, if we are eventually going to have mandatory vaccination laws in every single state nationwide. We know the the California one barely passed. And and if 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 these laws barely pass in every state, you're going to have a lot of pissed off uh, constituents mm-hmm. and legislators who are saying we are now mandating medicine and 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 barely half of us thought it was a good idea. We're really going to mandate well, and invasive medicine to, to to all children when when you know almost half the country disagrees with that. Well, and I thought this was interesting because in with two seventy seven, the Senate hearing was like almost unanimous. That was it, it flew so quickly through the process. They fast tracked the bill. By the time it got to the assembly, we had had a chance to talk to legislators and put together some arguments, and then it barely passed. So we actually made so much headway. So this is already at that place where not everybody's on board, and this is you know, just with one vaccine and just in the first house. We had seen unanimous voting in the first house, almost unanimous in the first house. And then it, then it got to be a little more muddled. Now it's already a little bit muddled already for Washington in their first house. And I saw this poll that C-SPAN did uh, recently about oh, should, yeah. did you see that? that? Cool, so yeah. it closed and it was um, uh, 59%. So almost 60% said out of 180,000 votes said that vaccines should not be mandatory. Yeah, 59% So 60% no. right. of these Americans, you know, so that's something to pay attention to. But I just wanted to update you. So <clears throat> the bill uh, 1638 passed the House on the way to the Senate. It was not a landslide vote, and it is only for the MMR vaccine. The other exemptions will stay intact for this particular bill. There are other bills. But I, I, I just... I thought it was interesting that the legislators were not unanimous on this, even in the state where there is the outbreak happening. And I thought it was, I actually thought it was so genius that they even had a bill that was tailor tailor um, fit for the disease that they were talking about. Instead of 277 has the Disneyland outbreak with um, more than half are adults and about half were vaccinated. And that outbreak led to the mandating and removal of exemptions for 10 different diseases. And they did not tailor pick it to to MMR. They did not try to make this all about that particular public health crisis. They made this a universal project. And that's something I thought that was interesting when I looked at the... um, Right, the and, Washington State. Yeah, and we we heard a couple of weeks ago that that a similar bill in Washington uh, died. Like, mm-hmm. like there, there, I guess there was a bill that was mandating MMR, you know, measles vaccine for everybody in Washington, and that bill died. There were several all. The yeah, same so time, yeah, yeah, and I didn't even know there was a second version mm-hmm. of a of pretty much the same bill. So this one, I mean, we all celebrated when we heard that died, but apparently there's another one that that's kind of the same thing, and it's going through so far. So and I the fight isn't over. Speaking of the Washington outbreak, I did a truth post on. Uh, yeah, or, I pulled I it up. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if, is it a truth? Was it a truth post? No. Um, no, it's not a truth it's, post. It's just a post. Yeah, yeah, but I basically brilliant. dissected the outbreak information because when I found out, when I looked at the statistics of the age breakdown and I realized that there were no infants under one 
And there were who only measles, who caught measles right. out of the outbreak cases. And at that time, I think there were 59 cases at that time mm-hmm. um, or 61, 59, 61. And there were also only two adults. Um, so was three cases. Well, I changed yeah, it to three, three yeah, because yeah. by the time I wrote the post and the next day there were two more cases. So that's why I had to adjust right. it. But think about that in all of the outbreaks that we've had in the United States. And, and we can do a separate post on that because I want to break down each of the outbreaks. Um, you never see no babies under one. Never. I have not seen one in all of the outbreaks I've ever studied, even in completely unvaccinated communities. You never, like the Amish, you right. never see no babies under one. And to have this many people and not a single infant led me to only one conclusion that the parents had natural immunity from the wild infection and the mothers were able to pass that immunity onto their babies. Why is this so important? Because babies are the ones that are at high risk for complications as well as adults. And these were the two groups that were completely protected. And the people that were getting it were age-appropriate um, cases where mm-hmm. the least chance of, a complication, of complications happening. So while they used this outbreak to really push legislation to, to prove why we need more mandates, you're looking at a group of people who opted out conscientiously on purpose, and the parents all had natural immunity. The babies were protected. The adults were protected and there have been there was one uh, one hospitalization out of all right. 60 cases right one hospitalization the lowest hospitalization rate that we've seen and no babies i mean it just this particular model demonstrates exactly what natural immunity looks like when there is an outbreak in the united states and we have not seen anything like this in all of the documented outbreaks that i've seen over the last 40 years in the united states Right, yeah. So if you want to look at, at more of, the, of this information, is from February 17 on, on Melissa's Facebook, and it's a it's a great um, you know a meme or infographic that you that you did. And that, I added it to our immunity education group blog, also oh, cool. on the website, Good. so you can come Good. view it there. But I just yeah. wanted to give you that update on Washington. The the information on that outbreak, I think, is crucial to understand yeah. too. Yeah, it's, it's so ironic that the it's almost like the one of the only outbreaks in recent years that was like. Uh, a textbook standard what you'd expect measles to behave like in a very benign, harmless fashion right. to a to a, a a community of 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 uh, you know Russians and other religious families who basically had, had decided to opt out of that vaccine, so they they knew they might catch this disease. Uh, all their their healthy kids caught caught the disease. One hospitalization instead of. You know, we we would have expected like twelve hospitalizations, and the hospitalization was an adult, and it was only an overnight stay. Yeah, so so no, um, so uh, yeah, no young babies caught it. Uh, You know, no no immunocompromised people. um, uh, You know, no uh, children were hospitalized, and and no older adults either. No elderly wasn't at all like the the three adults that caught it were kind of younger adults. I didn't Um, get the age breakdown of the adults. I feel like you told me that, but um, but 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 I mean, my point being. A totally kind of harmless textbook uh, situation where you'd almost would expect measles to kind of go around that kind of a community. No one was harmed. Um, and all these families kind of had, had purposely opted out of the vaccine. Why is that a national emergency? Why is that turned on turned into a, a state of emergency in Washington? And why is that uh, spearheading this national you know, measles crisis? When, when again, there, there's, there's, has been no harm done. The in least that harmful outbreak of anyone right. that we've had exactly. in forty all, years. You know, all the babies and no babies even caught it. Like, like, like Melissa said. So, 
again, the reason is is there is a there is a, a media agenda. There is an agenda here that that a is specifically agenda. Yeah, yeah. specifically designed to basically turn into what you know what today's. Uh, you know uh, what? What today's topic is, which is the the Senate hearings, and this is going to be a part, that, probably a part two. Yeah, we're going to probably have to do a number of these as as it plays out. The, well, the rest of the the rest of the people that spoke at this hearing, we're just going to cover the intro statements of the first two senators that are presenting this, um, and we will cover the public statement, the statements from the public, which, by the way, were only one side. There were only one side of information here. There was nobody presenting information on that panel that would have said, hey, there's something, you know, here are our concerns. This is why this won't work or this is why it's not a good idea. They invited five people to speak that reinforced their idea of why mandatory vaccination should be a federal policy instead of a state based policy. Right. And, and, and I mean, this, this is like totally like a bad movie. Mm. I mean, I mean, the government wants to do something, wants to take away the rights of citizens. And so it's like they, it's like a, a show they put on. And how many movies have we seen this where we're screaming at the, at the screen, you know, how, how staged this is totally staged, totally put on just like, like a circus. Again, I mean, I, I mean, why did they even bother doing this? this like, they didn't even need to do this. Uh, I mean, if if the if these committees want to have some sort of you know legislative process where they're going to you know insist that we mandate vaccines, why even put on a show? I, I almost think like they would have had a lot more credibility had they put on a balanced uh, debate, a balanced presentation, invite two people from the pro mandate and two people from the anti-mandate side and have a real hearing. You think that's what a legitimate government would have done. Honest, open communication. Right. That's, and, and be instead the they just had, it's like, it's like having a trial with, yes, with, with only side. a prosecution. Isn't that crazy? And like, no defense. I kept looking like, where's, I mean, where are the other people? I mean, who are they fool? I mean, it almost makes them look worse than had they done nothing. I mean, we're all citizens. Like, shouldn't everybody get a chance to voice their opinion? And let's not even talk about the fact that there was a high schooler on the panel who has zero expertise. Uh, Why would he be given a spot compared to a doctor that wanted to to raise legitimate concerns on this this policy? Yeah. So, so I think what we want to do is maybe just kind. I think I'm going to start with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of address the misinformation. We're going to fact check. Yeah. We're going to fact check. The, the two senators' opening statements. Their opening statements, yes. Yeah. And and I will say, so we're starting with Senator Alexander. I will say, again, legislators are not experts on vaccines. They're not experts on vaccine injury. They're not experts on infectious diseases. Um, they both were reading papers, prepared statements um, right. that you know were crafted for them to say and hit all of the bullet points, which they did. And both of these senators said a lot of the same things. But I want to, I just first want to start off by saying that uh, Senator Alexander um, pronounced pertussis pertussis. And I just want to say, <laughs> just, just that alone yeah. should tell you how much he knows about whooping cough and these outbreaks and what needs to be done and what should be mandated. I mean, he, there were two diseases that he did not actually pronounce correctly, which um, I just thought was interesting considering he's the one bringing this to the table. Um, anyway, it says... 
so he starts off talking about polio, and that's kind of like what you hear. You know, a lot of these right. con- congressmen are older. You do tend to see them talk. In fact, in 277, some they did that too, I think. Um, and we're going to have some very interesting conversation on polio mm-hmm. coming up, discussing some books. We talked about it with Dr. Tom Cowan, um, and some <laughs> some different theories on mm-hmm. polio, the idea that maybe the virus itself was harmless and in the intestines of, of children and adults for uh, hundreds of years even, and it wasn't until it, they were, it was combined with environmental toxins that it turned dangerous. And I want people to know the difference between poliovirus and poliomyelitis are two separate things. The poliovirus was not always responsible for um, causing paralysis. In fact, it was about 1% or less than right. 1%. Yeah, yeah, not, the- yeah 90, 99% of people who have poliovirus in their intestinal system, it's completely harmless. Right, and this is according right. to the World Health Organization. Right. Um, so, but, but uh, you have to start out with polio as the classic example of why vaccines are so wonderful. And then it's a very you know carefully crafted media approach uh, it's 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 planned that way because that's the classic example totally. everyone believes thinks they think it's it's infallible. You, you can't argue against he it. He mentioned iron lung. I mean, come right, on. Right, and, yeah. and And not just Tom Cowan, mm-hmm. Dr. Tom Cowan, but we are also going to talk with the author of, of, of a book coming up soon called The Moth and the Iron Lung that talks all about polio, again, talking okay. about this these theories. So I say that to you now because you're going to not want to miss that. Because if these what these other theories are saying is true, this whole... This whole argument gets totally blown out of the water, and that's something to pay attention to. But um, anyway, he, he actually talks about the hearing that they had four years ago. Um, they had this hearing on federal mandates four years ago, and that was also following a measles um, outbreak, and it was the Disneyland outbreak. And he says it was the worst outbreak since the disease was declared eliminated. In 2000, and just the irony is the Disneyland outbreak, you know, was, like I said, mostly uh, half, at least half were vaccinated and most were adults. Um, So I just find the details of the outbreak incredibly important when we talk about whether or not it's worth mandating something. Right. And since we're fact checking, we just have to point out that measles was never eliminated. Mm-hmm. Um, in the year 2000, when, when, you know, Senator Alexander says it was, it was eliminated, we had 86 cases in the United States. And you can find that on the CDC, on the, if you dig really deeply in the CDC website, that's because an eliminated disease is one that we've, uh, virtually eradicated from the country and it's no longer continuously spreading. And by that definition, measles is still considered eliminated in the United States because it's not continuously spreading everywhere. It just occurs in outbreaks. So it's, it's still eliminated, but he's making it look like it's coming uh, back. Like it was 100% eliminated with zero cases, and now it's back. And again, that's, that is uh, uh, not factual. And so he says, even though 91% of Americans were vaccinated for measles in 2017, according to the CDC, we continue to see outbreaks of this preventable disease because of pockets of low vaccination rates. Let's point out where this is wrong. One, we are not seeing outbreaks because of pockets of unvaccinated or low vaccination well, rates. We sometimes are in, in that. I mean, honestly, the the, the Washington outbreak is in a low vaccinated community, but not one that affects right. the public. Right, you're, you're right. You're, you're not you're like right. a publicly it's, it's spread outbreak. You're right. It's isolated in that area. They're okay with getting right. it. Right. So you're right. They they signed up for it. You're, yeah, you're right on that count, and that it's not spreading. But we do see outbreaks in in low vaccinated or unvaccinated areas. 
but not so much also at, though not only right right but i think i think the point being is the reason why it then will spread other places such as with disneyland or is largely because adults are not immune it's because the the herd of adults there's no herd immunity for measles in our adult population because the vaccines have worn off that's why we see it spread. That's why we see it sometimes start. And that's why we see it spread like state to state. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because it, it, for a large part is the, un, the, the vaccinated adults where their vaccines have worn off. So we see both things. We see small, isolated local outbreaks and unvaccinated children. But then we also see spread largely because the vaccines have worn off and all the adults are, are susceptible. But so, even the unvaccinated communities are rare because like the Amish community, that's one, there are, there are so few of right. those communities with enough people that are unvaccinated in one place like that. It, you know, these religious right. communities are very rare across the country that that's not the reason for outbreaks. Like right. Right. you're right. Cause all those outbreaks, they're all isolated to those areas. You know, the, the religious groups in Texas from several years ago is a very isolated outbreak. The Amish in Ohio, uh, uh, some years before that, uh, the you know the the Jewish community in New York. Mm-hmm. These outbreaks are isolated to those areas. They because come from international exposure, right, international right. travel. Come back to a group yeah, but, that are yeah, consciously. Yeah, but the point being, it's not spreading around the United States uh, much outside those groups. And when it does, it's often because the adult community does not have herd immunity because they never got natural immunity from the infection as kids and relying on vaccine, artificially induced immunity that wears off. But also the Disneyland outbreak was not started by a group of religious unvaccinated people right. either. So right. that's, a, that's, that's a huge outbreak that was very Partly publicized. Adults. Yeah, and over half the cases were adults. Yeah, and half were vaccinated. So yeah. that's a perfect example of something that was not because of a pocket of low vaccination right. rates. Right. Outbreaks are happening because of vaccine failure as well. And that's right. something to pay attention to. It's not like it's, you know, 91%. I mean, gosh, not, to get 91% to do anything in a, in a population with so many people is already amazing. To think that that's just not enough and it needs to be more. Um, and then to blame those people on the reason why we have measles. It's not why we have measles. And the people that got measles in Washington were okay with getting measles, um, which is why their parents already had measles. And anyway, um, so I just want to fact check the idea that outbreaks are of, of preventable diseases are not happening because there are people using exemptions. Like, I just want to understand this is not, it is not that simple. Um, and then this language he uses, vaccines have been so successful that until recently, Americans have lived without fear of getting measles, polio, or rubella. So what he's telling us, now we have to fear that. Right. We have to fear measles, polio, and rubella. And that's just not true. That's just right, not right. true. There's no fear of polio. We haven't had polio in the United States in about 40 years now. Was 40 years ago was the last time we had a natural, wild, occurring case of polio. Uh, any other cases that we've seen a little bit here and there since then have been from the caused by the vaccine, the live vaccine. And of course, uh, in you know, in the early '90s, we had outbreaks in uh, of measles for three years. That was a very, very large, eighteen thousand, right. twenty thousand cases um, in 1989, 1990, 1991. So he tries to say, until recently, we've lived without the fear of getting measles. There have been measles every year, and some years, thousands of right. cases. Yeah, in yeah, the, 90s, yeah, the was, point being, measles is not increasing. It's not there's, increasing, there's and it was no never increase. gone, like you right, said. Right. It's not like all of a sudden we didn't have to worry about it, and now we do. Right. It's still very, and we don't very have low. to worry about rubella because rubella is not on the increase. 
increase. Mm-mm. Rubella, actually, rubella has been eliminated from the United States um, as well. So again, he, he kind of has to use examples. Uh, but yeah, he's wrong in that people do not fear polio or rubella. They do not have to live in fear of, of either of those. But again, I think he has to spice it up. Of course he in does. Order to, in order to... Um, And then he goes on to talk about herd immunity. We need herd immunity. Now, I recently wrote a post on herd immunity and how it does not apply to vaccines and the history of herd immunity and what it means and the adults that with primary and secondary failure. Yeah, and and we have a whole episode on that. If you haven't listened to that, definitely go back and listen to our herd immunity episode because we really break it down. Thoroughly there. So he brings that saying that there are people that are too young to get the vaccine, people that are immunocompromised can't get the vaccine, and vaccines protect, again, vaccines only work if everyone gets them. That's what he's saying. Um, right. And he says the overall vaccination, uh, vaccination rate nationwide is high enough to create herd immunity. He says that. While the overall vox- vaccination rate nationwide is high enough to, to create this herd immunity... Certain areas, the pockets where the vaccination rates are low, are vulnerable to outbreaks. I want to reinforce to people who don't know the numbers that when we're talking about unvaccinated, we're talking about 1% of the nation is completely unvaccinated, according to the NIS, which is the National Immunization Survey given by the CDC. 1%. So if herd immunity threshold is 95, hypothetically, 1% is still not getting close to that. We know there are less than 1% of immunocompromised uh, individuals. So then let's just say that's 2% total. We're still 3% ahead of the curve right. um, from right. what from what we need. So um, this information and this kind of data is not accurate. And uh, it's important that when you're hearing something, you'll know how to kind of go through it and see that. But basically, um, he's saying, yes, we have these high rates because we do have high rates. And that's these are high rates without it being without removing exemptions. And he's still saying it's just not good enough. It's still this 1% that's causing these outbreaks. That's just not yeah. true. Yeah, and I think that that's a big point is why is the current situation not good enough? Mm-hmm. If there's no increase in disease... And the number of you know fully unvaccinated people is is one percent. I think it's one point two percent. I just saw, but uh, if 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 that's, I mean, again, why are they even messing with this? And again, I think it comes down to that one percent that are not vaccinating. That's hundreds of millions of dollars in lost income to the pharmaceutical industry. And I always, I hate to always kind of go there, kind of get all conspiracy theory, but. But again, that that's that that might be partly what this comes down to is pharma is missing out literally on hundreds of millions of dollars every year, even from one percent opting out. And if if that's what's driving this, then that kind of uh, is extremely unfortunate because it's not increase in disease and it's not you know uh, it's not worsened outbreaks. So what is it? What's left? You know, what else would be the driving force if it wasn't? going to be a a financial interest. Compliance and money. I mean, yeah, it has to be connected. And then he goes on to talk about safety. Well, first he says there's a lot of misleading and incorrect information about vaccines that circulates online through social media. Isn't that funny? He happens to bring in social media. I guarantee you this guy doesn't know how to use social media. He looks a little bit on the older side. He's probably not using (laughs) social media, but he is talking about the danger of misinformation. And this goes in direct alignment with what our post, our, our, our podcast on censorship was that we we did recently that you guys can check out. And he says that the vaccines meet the gold standard of safety, according to the FDA. This is a gold standard. And so therefore, 
These are completely safe. And he says, something I think was kind of interesting is he says, um, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, the ACIP, makes vaccine schedules, okay? He says, um, he makes, they make the recommendation on the use of vaccines in our country and the annual child and adult vaccine schedules. I feel like that's a setup. Hmm. He's starting to plant the seeds. We're also going to be talking about mandating adult vaccines. We know that they had that t- the goal of 2020 healthy people, um, child and adult schedules. And then he says, internet fraud claims that vaccines are not safe and they're preying on the unfounded fears and struggles of parents and they're creating a public health hazard. He's talking about social media. He's talking about misinformation, quote, misinformation. <laughs> We know that there are things that are being actively censored now. Right. He is talking about that in a, in a, a hearing about whether or not we need mandatory vaccines on measles. I, I just think it's so weird to even be talking about social media yeah. uh, and how that factors into this conversation because he's trying to make this acceptable that people's rights to freedom of speech are going to be taken away. Yeah. He's trying to make this – he's normalizing it. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're, we're probably going to start seeing – the idea of social media censorship showing up in every news article right. that has to do with vaccines. It's going to be the next bullet point. Yeah, it's going to be the next media sound, sound bite. And you know, it's not just uh, you know, a congressman Schiff. It's, you right. know, it's, it's now apparently and a he, number of them. And, and that, he's that's saying, scary. it is, and he's saying that all this, this fraud, quote-unquote fraud, whatever that is, is creating a public health hazard. It's the fraud on social media that are creating outbreaks. This is what he's saying. And therefore, it's a public health emergency, a crisis, and we need to strip away constitutionally protected freedoms. And I hate how he's discussing safety as if it's unequivocal. It's just gold standard, yeah. totally fine, totally safe. He doesn't mention a single thing about vaccine safety. How right. different is this intro statement than what Congressman Posey right. talks right. about in his right. thing? And I love how he says the FDA's gold standard of safety Okay, how many Americans would actually have, I guess, enough faith in the FDA to say that their standards for drug safety is golden? For things that have been approved and caused right, all these right. problems. I mean, how many yeah. times have they, they come back to realize that medical devices, medications, and some vaccines that, that have caused some problems, that, that that's a gold standard? I think a lot of Americans have a problem with that. But if if the legislators are completely ignoring all the potential problems or conflicts of interest in what goes on at the, at the FDA, that should tell Americans that that you know there there's some potential problems that that are coming down the down the road that could affect us that these legislators are are completely oblivious to, which which uh, concerns me. And again, it concerns me that again nowhere anywhere do you see anyone discuss. Yes, sometimes there are severe vaccine reactions. Right, not it's even mentioned. It's never acknowledged, even though there are thousands reported every year and probably tens of thousands not reported. Not once does does any person authority ever ever once acknowledge that. But this just goes to show you how little they know right. about it because you yeah. can't have this conversation and it be so one dimensional. And Patty Murray was next, Senator Patty Murray, uh, who. I believe her her focus is often on public health. So right away she says, <laughs> I remember in 2001, which I got the year wrong, uh, measles was officially eliminated from the United States. Okay, so again, she's talking about the elimination. They, they, they have the same bullet points they have to throw in here. Yeah, and she says that was welcome news for families across the country. I, I, 
nobody cared back then. Nobody knew. There was no celebration that measles was eliminated. Number one, it wasn't eliminated. We had 86 cases. Number two, no one was talking about it because no one had fear right. of measles. Measles it's was just very always there in climate. the background yes. in small outbreaks, just like it is now. And then, so here's what she says. Like other vaccines, we know the vaccine for measles is safe effective and saves lives. Again, bullet point, bullet um, soundbite, soundbite, soundbite. Vaccines are safe. Vaccines are effective. Vaccines save lives. Right. These are right. all straight up soundbites. And then she says, that's why kids in college never had to worry about a measles outbreak at school. But we know that in highly vaccinated communities, there still have been cases of measles with high protection. So making it seem as if that We've all been completely free of this, and it's all been fine until these darn social media people came to prey on all on everybody, and now we're having outbreaks. Um, right. But we're also we're not having measles outbreaks in colleges. Yeah, you know we're not. And and she actually says generation students are starting college; they didn't have to worry about outbreak at school. I think um, she was thinking mumps. I, I know it's very interesting because we are having mumps outbreaks in in school in, in colleges. colleges, and and everyone has known and and admitted, and everyone you know scientists agree on this. The reason we're having mumps outbreaks is because the the mumps vaccine wears off in almost mm. everybody. There's no longevity to the to that vaccine, and that's why we're seeing uh, mumps outbreaks. So I don't know if she was confused or if she's trying to pretend like we are having mm. college outbreaks of measles when we're not. Well, either way, that's misinformation, Dr. Bob. Oh, censored. We should, to be we censored. Should <laughs> we should cut that part of our Oh, our yes. Box, you guys aren't allowed to have all okay, the anyway. story. Okay. So then she talks, like, right away goes into herd immunity again, and she talks about the 95% and the threshold and the infants and the immunocompromise. She also mentions the national vaccination rate remains high, and we're falling behind because of certain communities. And okay, so here's where, here's where I get a little um, irritated. She talks about like in Clark County, this is where the outbreak happened. Uh, Washington, uh, Clark County, Washington, where the public health officials continue to respond to the outbreak, the immunization rate uh, among children in that community, and she makes it seem like it's the county, right, is less than 70%. Well, guess what? Guess who went and looked at the vaccination rates for the Washington <laughs> Department of Health? I did. I did in my yes, spare time. Yes, you totally did. Yeah. While you were watching your two children. And oh, wait, I, that's yes, me. And I, told, <laughs> and I told you all the data yes. you know, so that you could present it. Okay, okay so check this out. 70% is her number. Well, it turns out in Clark County, for the MMR vaccine, the kindergarten coverage is 85%. And for kindergarten through 12, which means the entire school age population of Clark County, 94.7%. Wait, so Senator Patty Murray, Democrat, was wrong? She was wrong. This is a fact check, people. The K through 12 MMR coverage for Clark County, where the outbreak happened, is 95%, 94.7% for MMR. But what is she using? Probably one particular school or one particular thing for every single vaccine. And so she uses the low number to make it seem scary and dangerous. And this is why we need to mandate because of one Russian community in Washington. Let's go ahead and push mandates for the entire nation. Um, you know, children out of, we have 330 million people, but the children for those parents and, and eventually for adults as well. So fact check, she's wrong. 
And um, and she was talking about the outbreak, talking about most of it was case, you know, children under 10 years old. Well, yeah, that's how natural immunity works. This is the age-appropriate time to get measles. We talked about that in another um in another episode. And then she says it's a terror for parents with newborns that can't get vaccinated because of this outbreak that's happening. Right. And, and I guess we got to say, why is it a terror for newborns or parents with newborns? Um, it is because uh, of our vaccination policy. We have completely eliminated natural immunity being passed from moms who've caught measles naturally, passing it to their newborns. So it's ironic that um, if if we were to man, you know, if if, if we we're trying to going to mandate vaccines for everybody in Clark County, that would create even more terror for all the newborns of the next generation because none of them would have immunity. Whereas, if you allow people to have natural immunity from measles, there is no terror for it newborns. protects the babies right. under one, which the are pregnant moms and the newborns are protected. And this and is the thing ironic. that they use is, is being the big danger zone is look at all these babies unprotected. Yeah, mass vaccination campaign for this is that is what has created our vaccine dependency, which creates the artificially induced vaccine protection. And that's just a very different thing. And that's why babies in outbreaks in the United States over the last 40 years, there are always usually about 10 to 15% of babies that are under one. And babies under one are not protected because the mothers are no longer immune because of their vaccine immunity has worn off and is insufficient to pass and give them protection. Um, So then this is the kicker right here. She says measles is not the only disease that deserves attention. We need to look at mumps. And, And isn't that funny? Because Fully, 98%, 99%, 100% vaccinated communities are where mumps outbreaks happen. You cannot get more compliance than that. You cannot physically get more compliance than that. That is where the outbreaks happen. She mentions mumps, and then she mentions pertussis. So let's look at pertussis. We know, we've talked about this, typically around 90% of people in outbreaks for pertussis are previously vaccinated. So she's concerned about mumps and pertussis. She's concerned about measles, which in the Disneyland outbreak, half were vaccinated. All of the things she's mentioning have nothing to do with unvaccinated people. And I think it's so funny when I see somebody go, almost half were unvaccinated. You're like, that means more than half weren't. (laughs) Like, isn't that concerning to you that more than half of an outbreak would be vaccinated? And in the case of pertussis, it's 90%. In the case of mumps, it could be almost 100% of all the cases are are vaccinated. Um, So she's bringing, she's highlighting those concerns. And then she goes into it right here. Social media. We need to understand the role social media and online misinformation play in spreading dangerous rumors and falsehoods. We need to better prepare the full spectrum of healthcare providers who are often the professionals people trust most to counter vaccine hesitancy and to promote vaccination. Now, I made a little um, photo today that I shared on my, my Facebook page that had five of the people who testified, including the two senators and three people on the panel, all five, so five out of seven, mentioned social media. Huh, okay. An 18-year-old, uh, a doctor that works in a hospital, um, the Washington State Secretary of Health, and the two senators putting this forward. Oh, uh, yeah. They yeah. all talked about the dangers of misinformation on social media. I'm telling you the odds of that many people bringing it up on their own and their, their written prepared, and they all read prepared speeches. The odds of them bringing that up are astronomically high. There is no way right. they just coincidentally low. all are low. <laughs> yeah. High, 
uh, out of high numbers of people, yes, right. astronomically no, right. low, that they would all bring this up. Huh. So do you know why this is coming up, guys? Can you guess by now? Right. So it's not just mandatory vaccines, that this is also a, a planned uh, – you know, they're planning to, to make censorship even worse. This is part of the PR campaign right. that is supported by pharmaceutical lobbyists. They are putting these bullet points into the speeches of the people that are testifying on the main stage because they know millions of people are going to be watching. They are normalizing social media and internet censorship. And they're making it part of the equation. So what they're telling you is there's a public health crisis. And if we don't censor this social media, then we are going to have serious problems and continue to have these dangerous outbreaks. We never heard a single thing about social media in 277, did we? No. That was just four no. years ago. We didn't hear one single legislator, one single person talk about the danger of social media and misinformation. Right. And and, and guess who actually has a, has a kind of a their hands, you know, around the, you know, the, the main social media platform right now, Facebook, that the U S government, you know, basically like we said this earlier podcast, but, but Facebook was facing millions of dollars in fines that they would have to pay to the government because of uh, some security breaches and some personal information breaches. And now the government has decided they want to uh, censor Facebook and they want Facebook to start censoring vaccine misinformation. And it kind of makes me wonder if, if the government is going to basically uh, uh, forgive all those fines and excuse Facebook from all the fines they'd have to pay if Facebook is going to agree to, uh, to this kind of censorship. I don't know if, they're, if, if those two have anything to do with each other, but someone brought it up in a email group I'm, I'm, I'm part of. And I kind of wonder if, if you know, Mark Zuckerberg and, and the groups of Facebook are going to cave. Uh, well, we already know they are. They're yeah, already caving. Already but but yeah. is it going to get worse as, you know, and the government is going to say, okay, Facebook, you don't have to pay us your, you know, hundreds of million dollars in fines if you will agree to this kind of censorship. I don't know if it's, I don't hmm. know if that, if that's connected. But, but you know, asking questions are important. Yeah. So good for you yeah. for bringing that yeah. to the table. And then she goes on to talk about the HPV vaccine and the mm. flu vaccine. And again, these are primers. These are ways to, the conversations about measles, and yet we're throwing in things about social media censorship, and we're throwing in things about uh, pertussis and mumps and HPV and flu. And she's talking about the fact that we educate people on these, and that's because there are so many bills that are out right now that are dealing with all these other vaccines. And she said, we had the most, one of the most deadly flu seasons in years. Well, turns out I also did a post on the flu yesterday. Yes. There, yeah. This amazing graph that was a, the study, the Peter Doshi study from covering the flu from 1900 to 2004, so basically 100 years of influenza, showing the CDC estimated death totals and the actual death totals and how far apart they are. So we've talked right, about right. how that 80,000 is a gross exaggeration. Right. But to see it in a graph form and to see how some years it was 25 times higher, the right. estimate was 25 times higher. And in this case, last year could have been close to 30 times, 35 times higher than what it was. But guess what? The legislators don't know that. And so she's telling you the flu vaccine is this coming on the heels of one of the most deadly flu seasons in years. And therefore, get ready, guys, for 
flu mandates that are right. coming. And, and the reason why this is misinformation on, on the part of Senator Murray is that you know, we, we did in an earlier post um, uh, that, and you did this on your Facebook, that last year um, half of the people who are hospitalized or who died from the flu in California were vaccinated. And then the other half who died or were hospitalized were unvaccinated. It was 50-50. It was yeah. equal. The, the exact same no- amount of people who died or were hospitalized in California from the flu last year were vaccinated. And if you go back two years, 70% of the people who were hospitalized or died of the flu in California were vaccinated. Yet Senator Murray here is saying that um, that you know because we've had the most deadly flu season in years – People need to vaccinate. And then she talks about how um, the whooping cough vaccine is is especially important for those around infants who are susceptible to whooping cough. She probably doesn't even know that the whooping cough doesn't stop you from catching the disease and spreading it. The to vaccine, infants. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the vaccine. If you're a parent or a grandparent or a sibling and you get a whooping cough vaccine, it doesn't stop you from getting the disease and passing it on to babies. So your vaccination status has nothing to do with protecting a baby, yet she is you know, stating something here that is misinformation as of saying getting the vaccine does protect babies around you. It doesn't. And I wrote that down for you to talk about because what she's talking about is this idea of cocooning. And now this has become a new thing where it's starting to come up as it's not just, you don't just need to get it when you're pregnant. You need to make sure that when that baby is born, everybody around you gets it. And then when that baby is two months, four months, and six months, they need to get it. They are really ramping up the pertussis vaccine, even though it is does not have great efficacy and it wanes in as little as two to three years. So they're talking about cocooning. But can you just quickly continue, expand on why cocooning, this concept of everybody getting vaccinated, why that does not, like a little more on why it does not actually protect the baby, because this is everywhere now. Right, right. Yeah, the, the whole idea is you have a baby, everyone around that baby needs to get a flu shot and needs to get a whooping cough shot, because those are some of the biggest diseases that go around. You know, flu kills babies and whooping cough kills babies. So you know, because we can't vaccinate a young baby against whooping cough and we don't give young babies flu shots, we have to vaccinate everyone around them. It's called the cocooning effect. And this basically was a theory that came up about maybe eight years ago and they started promoting it. So now all OBs tell all their patients, don't you dare let anybody around that baby unless they've had a flu shot and a whooping cough shot. Well, guess what? Everybody knows that the flu vaccine does not stop you from catching the flu and passing it around to everyone around you. And the whooping cough shot, for sure, we know, does not stop you from catching whooping cough and passing it around to everybody around you. We know that for a fact. That's an indisputable fact. So there is absolutely no cocooning value from anybody getting a flu vaccine or a whooping cough vaccine it does nothing for the baby. It, you know, it might help you feel less sick. You're going to have less symptoms if you catch the disease, a whooping cough or the flu, but you're going to be just as contagious. In fact, because you have fewer symptoms, you're actually not going to recognize that you have the flu or you're not going to recognize that you have whooping cough. You're going to be more likely to be around that baby because you feel less sick. So you might actually make a baby right. sick because you got vaccinated and you don't recognize you have whooping cough and you don't know you have the flu. So in fact, it could even be making things worse. And and so, you know, cocooning. And so when everyone discovered and figured out that the cocooning effect is no longer a valid theory, 
No one really talks about it anymore, except apparently uh, legislators. I'm seeing it a lot, I, well, though. I don't, I don't think they're talking about it in the scientific or medical no, community right. anymore because they now know it's bogus. Yes. Have you seen anyone retract it? No, of course no, not. No, have you seen that the CDC said, oh, sorry, everyone, by the way, cocooning doesn't matter, so we can stop talking about it. Have you seen like the obstetrical communities start telling their, their obstetricians, uh, we were wrong, communi- you know, cocooning doesn't matter, No, forget it. No, no, they're just kind of leaving it out there as, a, as something that I people can I actually see it more, which is, yeah. which is terrible because right. that you're right, that's absolute misinformation. And you know what's interesting is in the Appendix E for CDC that talks about the vaccine preventable diseases, even though I know in 2014 California or t- 2010 and 2014 California had outbreaks, according to the CDC, in 2014 with 30,000 cases, 32,000 cases, only seven deaths from pertussis, 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 yeah, which is very low, very low, definitely not low enough to require everybody else to be getting vaccines and definitely not low and not high enough to be mandating for, um, like in California, for people that work with children and that are, you know, uh, work in daycares and things like that. And so... She talks about the HPV vaccine. Why is that a big deal? Because right now there are currently six or seven bills across the country that have to do with the HPV vaccine giving without parental consent um, and and mandatory HPV vaccination for school entry. So the HPV vaccine, she's mentioning this, not coincidentally, it's because this is coinciding with, again, it's a universal effort. It doesn't matter which state is putting out the bill. The goal for the pharmaceutical companies and their lobbyists is to get every single state to remove exemptions and to have that on a state level and a federal level. And mm-hmm. that will just completely solidify their space here and their role and the program and everything. Right. So, well, well, I think I think the main reason that the, the the federal government is having these fake hearings. And the reason I call them (laughs) fake is the federal government has no authority to impose mandatory vaccination laws on any state. So nothing can come from these hearings. So what happens if they do pass it? Well, if the federal government passed a mandatory vaccination law, the states don't have to follow it. They don't have to adopt it. They don't have to adopt mm-hmm. it. So this is, that's why I call this fake hearing. It, it's basically, it's like a show to put on, in my opinion, it's a show to put on, to help uh, help uh, sell the idea of censorship, to make it palatable, yes. um, because that doesn't have to be a law. That can just be policies you know, that, that Facebook and, and Amazon and Google adopt. But number two, it's basically to support the state laws. Yes. That's what they're doing. They're encouraging the states to make these laws. So now California, which we know is highly democratic, that has always been a party line issue when it comes to the vaccine um, mandates. If California already has this law, if the federal law passes and California chooses to adopt it, it won't make anything different than what we have now because we already have that law. So the only real risk then comes to the states who do not have removal of exemptions if their state decides to adopt the federal mandate. Right. And then, of course, if adults get involved, because then that's something separate. And if a state chooses to adopt that. What's the process for that, though, for the state choosing to adopt the federal? Kevin back on the line? We need to talk about this because I've had a lot of people message me today. What if this passes? Oh, my God, what will I do? And, you know, for me, I'm thinking California, it's already like that. I mean. Yeah, but but, I mean, there's no federal bill that's introduced for this. 
right now. They're just they're just putting on a show. Well, so it's really just a show. It's literally just a hearing to discuss right. the nature of vaccines and again, like you're saying, right. to give ammunition to to the states to the states and and people feeling a little more comfortable with right. rights being and, taken away. And to away. give ammunition because there is a there is a federal resolution right now that that their Congress is trying to pass that just basically says vaccines are awesome and they're safe and everyone needs to get them. It's basically there's a resolution. It has no no legal power mm-hmm. or authority. It just basically is Congress saying we love vaccines and, and everyone, you know, you know, we support them and we support uh mandates and they're completely safe for everybody. So that maybe this is trying to support that resolution. So that if any any Congress people are against that resolution, they're now you know uh, they're now part of the misinformation. Well, but they're, what they're now if, on the outside. And, that doesn't have to pass. You're saying it already just exists. No, it's, it's a resolution that 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 it would have to pass if they're going to make it an official resolution. But what does what does it do? What does it, doesn't it mean? Doesn't do anything. It just goes on paper saying resolved. You know, we as a Congress have decided. Vaccines are great, and everyone you know should get them, and they're perfectly safe for everybody. So, does this feel like it's laying the groundwork? Then we have a resolution first. We have a couple hearings. Yeah. Then we have. I mean, is that kind of inch by inch type of thing? I don't know. I don't know. Why would you have a, a resolution if it's pointless? Who needs to know that they think vaccines are great? Like, what does that do for anyone? I it, the media can use it. You know, it's, it's it's a tool for people to then pass real legislation. That's to say the that the, the nation supports this, so therefore right. you should too right. on a state yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. But but was there in 2015? Was there a bill, a federal bill that was actually introduced as a bill? Yeah, there was a federal bill. is very interesting. Is is basically a bill that would deny. Medicaid money to mm-hmm. states who did not have mandatory vaccination laws, hmm. and it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I it, remember it. You know, it, it, it died in committee because because I, I don't you know they just didn't have enough support. But, but no mandatory vaccine federal bills that were in right. that year. Right, but yeah, because the 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 federal government, knowing they couldn't mandate vaccines for states, they decided to do it in a different way. Let's let's Take away deny their you Medicaid yeah. money. If you if you yourself don't pass a mandatory as a punishment, law. yeah, right, yeah. So let's strong arm you. Yeah, so you know, I mean, it, it's 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 getting ugly. It's not getting better, you guys. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And you know, I mean, that's why we're going to keep doing what we're doing. But we are going to keep finding new ways to do what we do. You know, we're not just podcasting. You know, we're going to keep writing. You know. Books are coming out and, and, you know, new ways to form groups of like-minded citizens to, to educate each other about vaccines so that people can, you know, if, if you're not going to be able to find information on the Internet pretty soon, you're going to have to find information somewhere. If they're going to start burning books like we've, you know, set, you know have in our censorship episode, you know, it's, it's going to start coming down to word of mouth, you know, person-to-person, you know, conversations about this. And I, I would say – they're making this so ugly. It's got to backfire. Mm. This can't possibly it work. It can't sustain like censorship this, yeah. and denying you know people the you know the access to information. They're just going to look harder. They're going to find it. They're going to find the truth, and they're going to realize vaccines can't be mandatory in any reasonable society. And then it's going to it's going to backfire. And so what I predict, I hope. Yeah. yeah. So what we will cover. So again, there were five. Um, speakers that were chosen at this particular hearing, and we'll fact check those as well. Um, everybody kind of had a different angle. There was a professor on public health policy. There was the 
a secretary of health for Washington. There was a doctor of hospital, you know, in hospitals, which mm. I say that because you always see those types of doctors speaking out in this type of situation. Doctors who don't have practices, who don't see patients on a regular basis, who don't follow up with patients. They see them for short, acute infections. They do not follow them and follow them through their vaccine cycles to see people have vaccine injuries and things. And and they're usually the most vocal um, on stuff like this, I find. And yeah. then the other two were um, a, a man who started a foundation for immunocompromised uh, people and then also some high schoolers. So Right. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, why didn't they invite uh, uh, somebody who started a foundation for vaccine compromised children? Again, you know why. Everyone knows why. That's but we'll fact check yeah. and go through those and yeah. just kind of see if they're, they had small things to say, but a couple questions were asked. I will say one of the things that was asked by this older senator asked the high schooler, um, you mentioned online, is that where your mother gets all of her information from? And he says, yes, that's what she has presented to me so far, Facebook and other social media platforms. And then the congressman or whoever he was, says to the 18-year-old, where do you get your information from? Is that where you get your information from? And he goes, not Facebook. I get it from CDC, the World Health Organization. And I had to laugh because <clears throat> all of the stuff that we mm. look at is from the CDC and the World right. Health Organization. Right. You might share it on Facebook, but that's sourced information. Right. Right. So I think it's so ironic that um, people bring up this you know, Google degree and this idea of online, but it was such an obvious like let's make let's poke fun at even his own mother right. he he was happy to join in that in that joke for his 15 minutes of fame as people have said and um anyway it's the social media being brought up in in the question and answer part of this i thought was interesting and uh the fact that so many of these congress people are old enough to where I don't think they're really using social media. So you know that th they're bringing this up and because this is being planted as to be part of the new part of the conversation. Social media censoring because of all this dangerous misinformation. Who decides what's misinformation? Who knows? Who decides if this is a yeah. public health threat? Who knows? Uh, it doesn't matter. You don't get to hear it all anyway. So what do you care? You're going to just get what they give you and you're going to finish your plate. <laughs> I mean, this is so yes, dramatic, yeah, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we have a lot of great episodes still coming up. Yeah. We cannot keep up with the I know, topics I know. that we have. You know, I, I kind of feel like like a few years from now, we're going to be like broadcasting this on like AM radio frequencies, like from a, a bunker somewhere because <laughs> they just they just shut it all down. I, I mean, they you know, we're, we're coming to you so. live. The signal's <laughs> shoddy. Uh. I mean, yes. could you imagine? I mean, it almost feels like that. Well, you know what? <laughs> yeah, it's, whatever yeah. happens, whatever happens, I feel like we've done our part in mm -hmm. trying to bring information to light that people deserve to hear. We've yeah. empowered people. We've supported people. We've encouraged people. We've informed people. We've encouraged them to become informed. And we've encouraged people to have this conversation. That's literally all you can do. Yeah. If yeah. this was the end of it, let's just say... We've done a lot right. to do this, and that's all that we can do. And so we'll keep doing it as long as we can, yeah. as long as I still feel up to it. Because <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I know you will for like decades to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, so many cool topics coming up, yep. um, including a really great Japanese study that we're yeah. going to break down. Yeah, and I was thinking, I mean, today we kind of did several topics that that are all kind of like current events, mm -hmm. things that are going on right now. Um, my... 
I think my bigger except passion, for Min- except for um, Meninger Cockle, yeah, right? Meninja but Cockle. my bigger passion really is just sort of the the everyday topics, just the basic topics, just the topics that are that are timeless that yeah. that you could you know we could have talk, been talking about last year, last year or next year, and and I think that's more of the heart of of this podcast. So I think if you're not always going to see us just sort of like you know yeah, talking about, about bills or new stuff right yeah. now because I feel like. The, the whole vision of this podcast is, you know, you, you could be listening to this three years from now and it's going to be like totally new and interesting to you because it's, it's about the vaccine conversation and not always politics. So we kind of had to take this little, I think this little, uh, I mean, detour politics right is now. part of it sometimes. It's part of it, and but yeah, it's, it's, uh, people's rights are important. I, I know, <laughs> I, I know, I like it, but, but like, this but, is what scares parents yeah, the most. Yeah. And this is the time that they need support the most. Yeah, and so unfortunately, yeah. yeah, I wish we could stay out of the legislative thing yeah. altogether, yeah. but you sort of have to delve in a little bit to help clear up, yeah. clear up some of the misinformation. Yeah. That could be out there. Yeah. Are you um? Are, are you getting texts from Steve? I uh, know uh, I've Serenity? gotten like a whole yeah. bunch about. Yeah, yes. I'm getting texts from Cheryl. Watching. She's yes. Like, when we are, are you on coming our home? Way. Dinner's at six thirty. So. Uh, what are you having? I don't know. Oh, I have to go make oh. a meal. <laughs> see, see how that works. You've got man privilege. <laughs> I don't know what Cheryl's gonna. Be oh, for me you mean you're just gonna come home and there's gonna be a meal? Yeah, oh my god! I don't know the last time that's happened for me. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> But anyway, some good stuff coming up. It won't be long. We have t- you will not be without Steve. Steve yeah. Make dinner tonight. Because <laughs> he's not Lewis. home yet. Okay. He comes home late, unfortunately. Serenity. Yeah, make Cook, <laughs> put on the mac and cheese <laughs> and hot dogs. Ew, gross. <laughs> we don't eat hot I remember dogs. growing up years ago. That was like the standby meal. It's like Ugh. if we're just tired, we don't want to make anything. I cannot up. stand hot mac dogs. Mac and cheese and hot no. dogs. No, you know what our go-to is? Our go-to is this grain-free pizza um, by Ooh, Against cool. the Grain, which is really good. Yeah, cool. So good. You get it at Whole Foods and yeah. or sprouts in the freezer section that's my go-to like didn't have time for dinner let's just do this that's yeah. kind of our our worst of the worst and it's actually really good yeah. <laughs> but we had it yesterday and two <laughs> days before that <laughs> so there'll be none of that but stay tuned listening you guys yes. we've got more to come and you will not be without episodes in the coming weeks because we're going to hit you with a bunch of them we'll be giving you two episodes a week um, hopefully and yeah. so and we pretty much always do two episodes a week occasionally it's only one just because yeah people get sick or get busy but yeah now we have a whole bunch we can use. anyway so thanks again for listening yeah. and yeah. we will check in with you soon on the vaccine conversation yep. with mm-hmm. Melissa and Dr. Bob <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening bye, bye you guys The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.